there, and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Sandemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to have our friend of the podcast back with us, Admiral Vern Clark, as we sit down and discuss covenant leadership, and specifically how that is applying to the world stage today. And we uh, discuss President Zelensky, the Ukrainian president. Um, He talks a little bit about Putin, and just some very insightful words from from Vern and uh, just appreciate him being being on the podcast with us again today. Some of the things that really stood out about what he shared with us was having a, a, a measurement of our communication as leaders. Um, what we said, but what what did they hear? And, and evaluating that as a leader, sometimes we share, sometimes we communicate, and we know what we said, but what did people hear? And uh, he talks about how he worked with that in the Navy and just the results that came from that. Very, very valid. The other thing that he shared, um, he shared a ton of things, but the other one that really stuck out to me was when he talked about um, President Zelensky. He, he said, Zelensky continually shares what the Ukrainian people believe in, who they are, and where they're going. And he shares that any great leader has to hit on those those three things, what they believe in, who they are, and where they are going. And I just thought that was a gold nugget to take um, multiple throughout the interview. Just appreciate him, his wisdom, and his insight, and his experience. And uh, yeah, just appreciate him being on the podcast with us again. do want to thank our um, sponsor for today's episode, which would be Appalachian Spring Dermatology, bringing new life to your skin. Learn more about the medical, cosmetic, and skin cancer screenings and treatments at Appalachian Spring Dermatology. And, per, and sign up for Dr. Rosenberger's blog at wvderm.com. would like you to also encourage you to continue to send in your questions for Back Channel with Foth. That's where we sit down with Dick Foth. We curate the questions that are sent in, sit down and get to spend some time and learn from learn from Dick. And Dick's the one that connected us um, with Vern Clark and uh, just has been a, a, such a blessing to us all as we get to Learn about leadership and uh, these turbulent days that we live in. Admiral Clark ends um, the podcast with this, a very profound prayer for the Ukrainian people is um, the suffering there is is just unbelievable. And um, just a prayer for asking God for his intervie- intervention, for his strength for them as they go through this um, these atrocities that they're they're suffering through during this this conflict, and so just a profound time of prayer, praying for them, and encourages all to continue to pray for the people of Ukraine as they um, traverse these very very difficult times. Well, there's no time better than now to get started, so here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. We're so excited to have our friend Admiral Vern Clark with us back on the. Thank you. Good to be with you today. Vern, for those that didn't uh, get to listen to some of the podcasts we've done in the past, would you take a few minutes just to share a little bit about yourself before we jump into our discussion today? Absolutely. So I'm a preacher's kid who grew up in the Midwest, in the great states of Nebraska, Missouri, and Illinois. And um, uh, in a setting like I grew up in, I gave my heart to the Lord at a very early age, uh, some four or five years old, I remember. Uh, and dad was pastoring a church at that point in time. And, uh, he went on to have a, a career that covered a lot of different things in, uh, at the international headquarters in Springfield, Missouri, and then, uh, pastoring up in Illinois and then the district superintendent of the state of Illinois, and then the president of a Bible college, North central Bible college in Minneapolis. Wow. So, um, you know, that, that's my environment growing up and, uh, early in my life, actually as a teenager, uh, I made a commitment to uh, go all in with the Lord, and that meant 
um, a decision to uh, a decision to commit my life to serving. And, mm-hmm. and I actually, with given my family background, that to me sort of meant that uh, I, I thought I was going into the full time ministry. Hmm. But uh, I also had the bird's eye view with uh, uh, dad. There were 500 churches in Illinois, and I remember traveling with him sometimes, especially when I was a teenager getting ready to drive. He'd let me drive and learn when we had the permit. And, yeah. and I was with him in a different church every Sunday for a, a period there. I got to see a lot. And then, hmm. of course, uh, at church camps and all of those kinds of things. Uh, I was determined that I was going to be sure that I was hearing the Lord's call. Hmm. Uh, this wasn't something I got just because I was son of a preacher man. Hmm. And uh, and so I was committed to that. And uh, one Sunday night at church, it was clear to me that I was supposed to go to Evangel College. Um, I, uh, there was no end uh, state to that. This was something I felt like I was supposed to do at that point in time. There I met uh, this beautiful blonde from Bay City, Texas, and wow. <laughs> you know, we married, and, and uh, we were both committed to this. And uh, Vietnam War was uh, was on then when I graduated. I went to graduate school. wasn't sure exactly. It wasn't clear to me what my call was, uh, but I did have a real sense that uh, I should be serving the country during the time that we were hmm. in. And in fact, the laws were changed. The draft was modified. And, and uh, so we, and again, I'm married yeah. and we decided, we even talked about volunteering for the draft and, and uh, then uncle Sam would help me with follow on uh, school and education. I kind of thought I was starting to fall in love with academia and the whole uh, uh, learning uh, system. Yeah. If you will. And I think if you talk to Dick Foth, Foth would say, well, you know, Vern, more than anything else, you're a teacher. And yeah. I really believe that that's true. Hmm. Um, I never had any idea that I was going to serve for 37 years. Um, I actually signed up to uh, through, ultimately through officer candidate school. It was a miraculous set circumstance and set of circumstances that, that led to all that. I don't want to waste your time with that this morning, but. I would just say that it was clear to us at that point in time, we were supposed to do that for a season and thought it was three years. Hmm. Um, And as we got into it, you know, uh, the one door opened after another, even then, even when I had four five, six, seven years in, I thought it was just for one more tour. Hmm. When a tour was going to conclude, we'd get on on our knees and say, Lord, uh, we're trusting you to open the doors here and, um, and we will follow the doors that open for us. And, uh, you know, <laughs> years later, <laughs> um, end up running the place. It was never, ever uh, a dream that I had. For hmm. starter, I didn't think that a kid that went to Evangel College could lead the Navy. Um, and you were, the Navy is a very tradition-oriented place. And uh, every uh, I was the second person in history that got to lead the Navy that didn't go to Annapolis. Hmm. And so anyway, that's the way it all happened. Wow. Wow. What a story. What a story. And God's hand of provision. 
and guidance and direction um, through that, through those times and through the process. Vern, as I've been watching the world stage, um, things going on, I, I wanted to reach out to you and I appreciate you being on the podcast. We've had discussions in the past about covenant leadership. And as you, you shared, you're a teacher at heart. And I've learned so much um, from you about covenant leadership. And um, I, with things going on with, with Russia and, and Ukraine, yeah, I just thought it'd be great to learn from you once again about covenant leadership and what you're seeing that's going on with these two leaders that seem the world's focused on them. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I, th- I don't know how anybody can uh, watch all this and not be really impressed with uh, President Zelensky. Um, mm. He's just a real joy to watch <laughs> and observe. And talk, you talk about a, a person of courage, um, mm. moral courage, right? Yeah. Uh, the thing that comes to mind, uh, do we need to review the bidding on what covenant leadership is all about? That would be excellent. Well, so, you know, I got this from Max Dupree, um, who wrote the book, uh, Leadership is an Art. And um, and I, I ran into it way, way, way before I was going to be the chief of the Navy. I, uh, I can't pinpoint it now. It was in the 80s someplace um, because my, my background, you know, my makeup and background was different than my peer group. Uh, sure. You know, I read different things. And, um, uh, you know, I, I ended up getting an, I kind of thought, Aaron, that I was going to end up in academia and it was mm-hmm. going to be probably economics and, and uh, tie in the uh, business leadership side of its time. You know, I didn't know what it was, but I know I knew, know where my interest was. And as I uh, my education continued, I became really a, uh, a convicted, uh, a, a strong conviction that there was a very essential part of leadership was all about uh, the behavioral side of it. Hmm. Uh, and what does that mean? So, it, so uh, I would actually uh, kind of classify myself as a, you know, theoretically a behavioralist. Hmm. Uh, I think that uh, leaders uh, that really get it ultimately come to understand that leadership is never just about being the boss. Hmm. It absolutely is about being the boss. But I, I think I probably described to you before uh, uh, we love the term as Christians, um, covenant leadership, don't we? Yeah. Uh, we servant leadership, we talk about really way more than covenant leadership. Covenant yeah. leadership, something that, uh, uh, that Dupree uh, brought along. Um, so I will tell you that the book that was originally written on servant leadership is a very difficult read. Hmm. Anybody? reads that and enjoys that i think <laughs> it's hard to look. <laughs> it, it, it is torturous in place <laughs> so you have to really dig down into it to find but but we i think as uh christians uh we automatically think about jesus when we talk about servant leadership yeah but that's not the way the book the book is not written uh in a way that it just jumps off the page at you necessarily. Yeah. And I will tell you that the foundation that was set up after Greenleaf uh, passed, uh, that uh, that now carries forward the servant leadership uh, themes, is very good. 
Hmm. Uh, they've got a lot of wonderful material. And, and, the, and reading their material, one of the things that they said that really struck home to me was this, that if the first thing that a person thinks about when they think about leadership and they think about authority and being the boss, hmm. they're not servant leaders. Hmm. Hmm. You know, what is the first thought that we get when we think about being the, a leader. Yeah. Uh, you know, the context and frame of reference is goofed up. Yeah. I'm, I'm summarizing here in the yeah. in, in screen. Um, but if we, if we start thinking about how do I impact the people in this organization that I've been blessed to lead and start thinking about how to grow and develop them, my whole mindset is different. Hmm. Right. Yeah. So what I love about uh, Dupree is that he just asks a simple question uh, to the people who commit to you, the leader and the organization. What do you commit? What do you promise? Oh, oh, he goes into great detail. You have to do this. You have to come to the grips with what the covenant really is. Hmm. And in my audiences, I tried to make this happen quickly because I didn't want to spend a, a 30 minute speech, 20 minutes on this. But, uh, but fundamentally a covenant, what is the defining what a covenant is? Yeah. And, you know, simply, um, and I would just always ask the question, well, what is the covenant? Yeah. And it, it either has a legal uh, pretense or it has a personal pretense. Hmm. or frame of reference. And if it's legal, the first thing people most often think about is the contract. And if it's a contract, it has a legal heritage and uh, the the relational, the relationship is foundational, foundationally legal. Hmm. And if it's a promise, it's between two people and it's very personal. Yeah. And so uh, uh, he asked the question, and uh, and that's the way I would charge off into it. And so yeah. fundamentally, it was easy for me. But I had I had to, to tailor the covenant leadership discussion to what we were doing in the Navy. Yeah, uh, you know, we have a mission. Yeah. And so, what's that mission all about? And if you're doing did what I did for a living, you know, I was a ship driver. Um, and the whole idea is they don't hire you as the commanding officer to take the ship out and set it, you know, against the sun and cut a fine silhouette on the horizon. That's not what you're getting paid to do. Yeah. You're getting paid to, and I used to talk to our sailors about this, and and all the way to the top. But one of the things I want to make sure we get to, that how important the mission is. Uh, a mission focus is critical, and I think when we talk about what's going on in the world today, uh, it's not difficult to think about uh, leadership in this sense, that the mission is the message. Mm. Um, and so when I talk to my sailors about this, I, it, you know, I just said simply, look, if you are a leader anywhere in this organization, and we had a lot of levels, right? Yeah. I mean, sure. So like 01 through 010 officers, and, and I started as an 01, and I know what it's like to be on the bottom. I mean, Connie used to say, my wife used to say, Vern, don't you dare let them think you were an admiral. <laughs> <laughs> you, were, 
<laughs> you were an ensign, you know, and then you were in junior grade and, you know, all that goes with it. Uh, and so, uh, you know, in order for us to move up, always it presumes that you're going to be successful. Yeah. Uh, and the Bible talks about that. If we're faithful in small things, well, then we'll be given authority over bigger things. Yeah. So, so uh, he asked the question, and I thought it was just the really, uh, it fit what uh, I, the way I felt about the organizations. And I just asked every Navy leader from the top to the bottom. Yeah. If you're a leader, the, if somebody works for you that took the oath, uh, the oath of the nation, I do yeah. solemnly swear or affirm that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. And I will obey the orders of the President of the United mm. States, all the people in the chain of command between me and the President. Mm. Uh, and so... Uh, and I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion. And I will well and faithfully discharge the duty of the office upon which I'm about to enter. Wow. And then what that meant was then this. So you are responsible for this group of people who have been entrusted into your care, yeah. into your to get something, a mission done, not yeah. just to cut a fine silhouette on the horizon. So those kids promised that. Yeah. And then I just asked the question bluntly. And frankly, it's the Navy. They hmm. hadn't heard this. What do you promise them hmm. in return? Yeah. And I do believe, uh, Aaron, I never, this was all built on my number one priority, but was to win the battle for people. Yeah. I was surprised with how the Navy reacted to it. Hmm. Because all the literature says you can't fix the culture, change it in less than a generation. Yeah. And generationally, we never made our retention goals ever. Hmm. Uh, here, when Ronald Reagan created the all-volunteer force and gave us a 17% pay raise, boom, we made our first <laughs> retention goals across the board. The very next year, we were right back, in, oh, well, this is a little crude, but right back in the toilet. Yeah. I mean, we were terrible. When I took over the Navy, our first term retention was 19% and we were trying to get 38% and our attrition was thir uh, was 39%. In other words, four of our young Americans, yeah. four out of 10 were failing. Didn't they uh, tried it out of the Navy before they finished their initial obligation? Hmm. And I just said to leaders, look, I believe so strongly that nothing succeeds like failure and nothing, uh, nothing fails like failure and nothing succeeds like success. Wow. And so if you're a leader in this outfit, I'm asking you, what you do you promise yeah. that young sailor who took that oath to serve the nation? I want to know specifically what you are promising. Hmm. And I said, and there are a few things I'm going to be watching. Yeah. I'm going to evaluate leaders based upon uh, how they do a few, a few things. Yeah. Number one, do are they growing and developing their people? Hmm. Uh, what about this commitment, and how are they verbalizing their personal commitment to the people that have been entrusted into their care? So you know, the long and short of it is, this then gets us to this thing called servant leadership. Yeah. The promise is what the servant does by and and some some hard delineated things between the boss and the subordinate. Hmm. And I love the I mean, years ago, I, 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 I 
found myself in a circumstance where I had a group of civilians that were in my organization. And the HR leaders came to me and said, you know, you've got to learn some skills that you didn't have in the military and things that are expected of you because you are, you've got some civilians working for you and how the whole performance appraisal process uh, um, works and, you know, what's supposed to happen in these relationships. And so even while I was, uh, even as a military guy, I started going to ships that were in my squadron. I had a, I was a destroyer squadron commander after I'd commanded three ships and, uh, and I would go to the ship and I would ask the, uh, the captain to line up the 10 hottest running sailors they had in the organization. Mm. And I said, I want to, I just want to have a private discussion with each of them. Scared yeah. the, Scared the commanding officer to death, probably. But, you know, uh, you got to work hard to have it not come out that way. Yeah. Uh, it's got to be a positive experience, and we need to always be thinking about that. Yeah. Um, but I, so I asked these top, top running sailors, okay, just privately between you and me, how did your last performance appraisal go? Hmm. And looked at me kind of funny, like, well, they they showed it to me, and I had to read it, and then I had to sign it. And I said, "Did you have any discussion about you know what was going to happen in the next year?" And he nine times out of ten it was well, no. Hmm. And I said, "Well, did you make any commitments to your boss about things you were going to take on in the next year that would uh, build and grow the organization? And did he make any commitments to you about, for example, you need some special skill sets here and here and here?" You know, did you come out of that with a commitment on uh, both sides? Uh, I will tell you, uh, 49 times out of 50, the answer was no. Wow. Well, you know, that's missing it, see? Yeah. And so part of what a servant leader is is doing, a covenant leader, is making a promise. And and I remember being in in uh, Atsugi, Japan, Hmm. head of the Navy now. And I'm giving my pitch to a whole, the whole Navy, the movie theater was full of sailors and even some family members came. Hmm. And the sailor stand, stands up and says, Admiral, uh, you talk about what, uh, what my leaders commit. Uh, what is your promise to sailors? Hmm. And I'm so thankful. I said, thank you for the question. Hmm. And here's my promise. I'm the guy on the hook to get you resources so you can grow and develop. Hmm. And my promise to you is that I will get you the resources required for you to grow and develop as a leader to make a difference for the United Hmm. States of America. I'll Hmm. get the resources. Hmm. (laughs) Well, anyway, that, you know, how do we become encumbered as leaders? Not about being the boss, yeah. And if we look at the, if we look at Jesus's life, you see it working uh, all the time. Sure. But he, so we can easily say, well, yeah, he was a servant leader. You know, he healed people, but he gave his whole life. Yeah. Well, I want to tell you, r- real covenant leaders are giving their life every day. Hmm. Wow. Uh, but it is about this promise. And then let me t- let me let me foot stomp here. Yeah. Every single day. We've got to be working the challenge. What's the challenge today? Hmm. And I will tell you, the challenge is the strategic communications challenge is 
talking to, and you've heard this before, Aaron, who are we as a people? Hmm. What do we believe in as a, as a people? Where are we going as a, as a people? Wow. And this is organization. I don't care what organization you want to dream up. Now you think, well, that sounds pretty good. That sounds pretty churchy to me. Well, uh, it, then I was in the church of the Navy because I thought <laughs> I came to understand yeah. that the real measure of a leader's effectiveness is the ability to strategically communicate the sense of need, purpose, calling for people so that they can come to grips with the number one question today first is, what do I really have to get done today in order to make sure that I'm properly postured for next Friday and the Friday that follows? And, you know, yeah. Vern, when that sailor stood up in Japan and asked you that question, some leaders might've been offended. Some might've been became defensive about that. How does a covenant leader, when somebody asks a question like that, receive it and respond to it without becoming defensive? Does that does that make sense? You bet. Attitudinally, it's all attitudinally. Hmm. I mean, so number one, uh, I mean, I think it, it, I think this would be a great uh, 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 question for a group uh, to take on and and not having the the leader answer it first. And when the leader answers, he prejudices the whole crowd. Right? <laughs> that is so, true. That yeah. Is true. So. The way you have this discussion is you, you say, okay, when you ask this, when when you get asked this, what are you going to say? Hmm. And what what are you going to base it on? You know, what's going to stimulate your thinking? Hmm. Uh, and so the very first thing is, if I haven't thought about this, and I want to tell you, this is key, so let's come back. With, if I haven't thought about this, what chance do I have? To answer the question right. Minimal. Yeah, as in right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the idea that uh, God's going to answer you in this uh, demanding moment, uh, I mean, I believe God, the Bible says that we're going to reap what we sow. If we've never sown uh, the intellectual rigor for us to be able to answer the question, we have no chance of doing justice to the answer we're going to give. Yeah. And so uh, this is why I think it is absolutely so critical for us to be thinking about this. Um, and I, three, four months into my tour running the Navy, I set up an organization to help me do this. Hmm. I could see, I had 2,500 people on the Navy headquarters staff. They were all involved in chasing the bureaucracy uh, uh, requirements of the of the day. I mean, they were there for a reason. I mean, yeah. you're developing programs and, and, and big, huge budgets. You've got to be able to justify them to the nth degree. You've got to deal, at, you know, every uh, uh, one of the committees on the on the Capitol Hill that has anything to do with the military is pounding you for information. And somebody's got to do that work, right? right. It's, not gonna, uh, it, you know, a guy like me can't uh, get anything done. If that's, if I'm going to try to do that all day long, then what's sure. going to happen? I hired a guy uh, and he was a hot runner. I knew him by reputation only. He wasn't a, a person that I really had ever worked with. Um, and I asked him to come and set up a strategic communication. So look, I want so let's just put, uh, think about the way we're going to reach the whole Navy 
with uh, the, the pursuit of what the Navy's about and how we're going to impact it and, you know, what we're trying to do. Um, I said, when I opened my mouth to talk to the Navy, within 48 to 72 hours, I want to hear back from you uh, with an answer to this question. We know what we thought we said. Hmm. What we know what we intended to say. We know what we thought we did actually say. Yeah. Within 48 to 72 hours, I want you guys in hot connection with the waterfront. And I want you to sit down and assess me on my effectiveness. Hmm. What, and I want to know not what I said. I want to yeah. know what they heard. Wow. Okay. So this is and then once a once a quarter, oh, I gave them a I gave them a, a model of the way I wanted to uh, spend my time. I said, so look, any leader that knows anything about life knows that the tyranny of the urgent is one of the uh, most difficult things to deal with. Sure, uh, the tyranny of the urgent can uh, t- can overtake us and completely disable us. Yeah. Really. If we don't watch it, you know, a crisis occurs. So, you know, a little old crisis like, uh, you know, within 90 days, the USS Cole gets bombed in Yemen. Right. Um, You know what? Now what? And Hmm. so spent a lot of time on the front end because I had seen leaders get run aground, uh, getting totally distracted by the tyranny of the urgent. And I said, Hmm. so uh, I wanted my transition team to help me put together a scheme that we would kick into gear the moment something like this happened that would keep me from, you know, losing focus or my strategic communications team. I said, okay, here's what, uh, when I was a two-star deputy commander at the United States Atlantic fleet, the commander in chief asked me for a a business model. Hmm. How does the chief executive spend, should they be spending their time? Hmm. I know I got all my notes out from graduate school. I have an MBA. And, uh, and he, he confided to me, he said, I want you to know the reason I hired you is because I've always believed that the Navy is spending the taxpayers dollars. This is a $10 billion business we're running here at the Atlantic fleet. And what do we know about running a business? He said, I hired you because you've been educated. You have an MBA and you're a one of a kind kind of a guy uh, in our Navy in this, you know, you, you right. have those people in the logistics area and so forth. You didn't have them in the ship driving business into the, the, the operational focus where I was spending my life. And so he said, I want to, I want you to put together a model and find out what, you know, get in the literature and see what people say. So I went to work on that and I still had my notes from graduate school. And, um, and it was, I thought it was pretty interesting. I found three uh, models, but it was, I didn't, they weren't in my notes. I promise you. That's not <laughs> what they uh, <laughs> I had to go digging, but I found uh, one that I really signed on to. And I recommended this to him. I didn't know at the time that I was going to end up being the chief executive. Hmm. And at that point in time, I was going to kick this into gear and this strategic communications group. I said, okay, here's the model. One third of the time on the touchstones. Hmm. And when I gave this speech on this, to, and mostly to senior executives, uh, we'd go into the drill, well, what are the touchstones? And uh, I remember reading about a, 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 a CEO who ran a big women's clothing business. 
Hmm. And in fact, he and I be, uh, struck up a friendship. And, and I remember him talking to me about this. And he said, look, he said, one of my touchstones is my banker. Hmm. I got a short-term credit line. And if, if I lose, if something happens to my short-term credit lining, line, turning cash in the short term yeah. to pay the bill, buy the materials and all that stuff. He said, if, if my banker called me tomorrow morning and said, hey, I got to cut your, uh, your short-term uh, finance line, I got to sh- uh, cut that by 60%, he said, I'd be out of business in two weeks. Yeah. yeah. And so I better have a really good uh, relationship yeah. with the touchstone. For sure. And so I started asking our senior people, who are our touchstones? Hmm. And it's a good drill for any leader. Hmm. Uh, and so... You know, in the Navy, I mean, it was a drag, dragging the, the uh, message out. This was not the normal thing that we talked about. Yeah. You know, they finally get around and understand, well, our, who's our banker? Well, it happens <laughs> to be Congress. Yeah. Uh, but who are our other touchstones? Well, how about the citizens of the United States, the public? Don't they have yeah. a lot to say about what kind of Navy we're going to What about families? And what yeah. about... You know, and you start going in the and the uh, and the training and education and, uh, element uh, uh, and so forth. You go on everything that touches your institution. One third of the time on the touchstones. One third of the time on senior development and placement. In hmm. other words, it is so critical uh, to understand how people, uh, what the expectation is for growth and a growth system. Hmm. Uh, no, not, you can't just be, well, he finished uh, command and he didn't, uh, you know, he was fairly successful in that command. So let's plug him up the line here. Right. Well, wait a minute. Is that, is that enough? And by the way, I will tell you, it's surprising sometimes when you really start talking to people about, you know, what methodology they do use. Anyway, well, so one third of the time on senior development, uh, develop, senior uh, uh, people development and placement, hmm. and one third number three, evaluating the product of the plan. Wow! So I said, okay, here's what I want to do. Once a quarter, I'm you're not coming to my office. I'm coming to your office. Uh, you're going to give me my grade card every three months. Hmm. How did I do? one-third number one, one-third number two, one-third number three. Hmm. I want you guys to ruthlessly evaluate me and tell me how, how I'm doing. Hmm. Man, first one, I was so far out of whack, and you know why? I mean, I had USS Cole within 90 days, yeah. and then, you know, and there's a lot of uh, crisis management going on, And but over time, I got I became more disciplined, uh, and that whole philosophical approach then began to uh, uh, interweave itself in the way we we ran all of my time once a week. Uh, the schedulers walked in, the lawyer walked in with them, telling them, uh, here's a stack of invitations you've got. You can't do this one, whether you want to or not, you know, and, and you know why I couldn't do it. And, you know, I mean, he had to learn over time that we were looking for reasons why we could do them. Yeah. And set reasons why we can't do them. And yeah, so that makes sense. Um, so anyway, the whole covenant leadership uh, thing begins to grow. And I knew, though, that I had to have uh, people helping me and assessing me. Hmm. So how do you evaluate the product of the plan? Hmm. If you don't have good assessment skills, 
uh, it, it's going to run aground, right? At this, at this sure. step of the game, right? For sure. Uh, but the effective covenant leader is mm-hmm. uh, has the moral courage then to be transparent and honest with you know how we're doing. And I'll never mm-hmm. forget at the end of year one, we had a whole major uh, you know Vern's pursuit in year one, and it was big and broad. Mm-hmm. And it started with winning the battle for people. Mm-hmm. And I published a message to all the entire Navy. They're called all NAVs. Uh, uh, to the entire Navy saying, here's what we did well, here's what we did not do well, here's what, you know, here's the report yeah. on the progress, you know, and on right away in year one. Hmm. It's unbelievable, Aaron. Hmm. Uh, I So, you know, our first term retention goal had been 38%, and we never made it. We were never in the 30s, and the whole time I was in the Ronald Reagan did the all-volunteer force thing, but uh, I did some manipulating of there were some things about uh, the whole way, the process of doing a calculation that was deceiving. For, for example, if a person was not adapting to the Navy, let's say they they were taking drugs, they're out. Right. I wasn't going to let that count against us. We're going to be a, who are we as a people? We're a people that that believe in something so strongly that we'll go uh, fight over them and give our life over. Hmm. We're not going to let people that have no respect for who we are besmirch our service as drug users. It's Hmm. just not going to happen. And so, you know, this is a one and done deal. Well, so, and they're not going to count against our retention things, but we're going to cut drug use and and we're going to do this and this and this. Anyway, at the end of the year, it's all posted. We set a stretch goal of 57% for first term retention and we couldn't make 38%, Hmm. but you know what? And we didn't make 57%. We only made (laughs) 56.3. Was on believable wow. how quickly it turned Turned around um, turned around Vern is we well, that was a long answer to question one so no that's that's awesome one. and um great you answered a, a lot of the other questions I had for you in this um we've talked to you talked about caring is is a covenant leader and you shared that Zelensky you know he has seems to have a lot of courage and he's won the heart and mind of people in that as you see the characteristics of these two different leaders you know I'm outside looking in they seem very polar kind of opposites in their approach what characteristics do you see in in that would model covenant leadership and what characteristics would not model leadership uh, great question. Well, I don't think we uh, expect to see the covenant working in uh, in Russia. Yeah. Uh, and 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 I would just kind of summarize quickly. Uh, this is some. This is uh, heart wrenching to anybody that has a the moral fiber uh, that mm-hmm. approaches what we would talk about as a group of faith people, right? For sure. I mean. It just makes your heart sick. Um, yes, it does. Uh, I, I just can't imagine that uh, we live in a time where we're watching this happen. I'm, hmm. I'm, I'm stunned, really. Hmm. But what do we love about Zelensky? Zelensky is constantly lifting his people. Hmm. Um, so remember my my three things. Who yes. are we? 
people. Yeah. Don't you hear Zelensky talking about this every single day? He does. He does. Yep. And I so the way you phrased it in your email to me when we talked about doing this, um, that we need to we need to take real world examples and be, be watching them and analyzing what yes. they're doing. Yes, exactly. What is this guy doing that is yeah. uh, that that is making him effective? Hmm. Uh, the second thing he is constantly doing is reinforcing what it is uh, Ukrainians believe in. Hmm. Uh, they believe that they're. I, I used the phrase a while ago because it's the way I talk to my sailors. But yeah. they clearly believe that there are some things worth fighting for to the death. Yeah. And yeah. that's the pursuit of freedom. Yeah. Well, if leaders don't do, I've really got to foot stomp this. Somebody hmm. in an organization always gets to frame the discussion about who we are. Hmm. And my challenge to leaders is don't shrink from that. Hmm. That's one of the greatest gifts you're given when you are chosen to lead an organization. And hmm. Zelensky has not uh, faltered. Yeah. Rather, he has been a champion yeah. defining who they are and what they believe in hmm. and then where they're going. Hmm. Now, notice he's not in a big game plan to try to politically affect uh, expectations. Yeah. Being brutally honest with his mm. own people mm. and the world now. Mm. Um, I mean, uh, uh, one of the things that's been disappointing to me is, and, and, and this isn't new with me. Everybody that is watching this closely is thinking about this. Yeah. Uh, they're disappointed in the Western world. Hmm. Um, so you got to be an idiot not to be to understand that for the United States of America messing around with Russia, who, you know, if let's just not try to psychoanalyze Putin. Right. Let's just say this guy's this guy has the potential to be a real dangerous character. Yeah. And we can see that uh, his moral uh, framework allows him to do some pretty brutal stuff. Yeah. And so it. There will there be risk, certainly for us, uh, in deciding to take certain actions. Yeah. Um, and so we have carved out a position for ourselves uh, that says, well, they're not in NATO, so we're not taking that risk for nations not in NATO. Hmm. Uh, let's just roll the clock back a little ways. Yeah. What would it have happened... Was there a NATO in 1939 when Hitler started all his mess? Hmm. No. No. How in the world did we decide that we were going to stand up to this? Hmm. Have you thought about that? I've been thinking about there was no NATO then. Yeah. Were we with what were we without risk? Of course we weren't. <laughs> we had let our military, like we tend to do in this country, yeah. World War One is over. We build up like crazy. We're we're done. The Congress goes, 
We want a peace dividend. Yay, barely. <laughs> Hallelujah, brother. We need a peace dividend. Uh, this is what we do, right? Yeah. Uh, but they had the moral courage to say, uh, we can't just sit back and watch this happen. Hmm. You know, the, uh, there was the League of Nations that came into being after World War One, and, uh, you know, there was a lot of hope for that that never really amounted to the kind of things uh, that some people ha- had hoped would happen. But it did, uh, it probably did play a role. I wasn't there to really be able to ever get inside people's head by reading a book, you know, what everybody thought. What we do know is that we had a leader here who just wasn't going to sit back and watch this happen and just yeah. keep letting it happen. Yeah. I remember um, uh, when President Clinton was uh, the president, I remember him talking either late in his tour or after, you know, in, in reflection after how badly he felt that the U.S. hadn't stepped in the middle of Africa when we had that surge siege going yeah. through, killing th- you know thousands and thousands of people in Africa. Yeah. But we did do that, you know, in the in the Balkans because yeah. we had a leader over there who was killing Muslims. They weren't killing Americans, but hmm. you know, it was yeah. the kind of thing that we decided we're not going to stand by idly and watch this kind of thing happen. Yeah. I believe that I, I, I certainly don't believe we've reached the end of the discussion about what our how we're going to react to all of this over time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it'll be a continuing discussion. But I watched 60 Minutes uh, this last Saturday, Sunday night. I love watch. I always watch that just to see, get a perspective. Yeah. And I am oh, very openly neutral politically. I never side make it a point not to side with a republican or a democrat yeah and when christians ask me what i thought about you know the world i dealt with up there i was very quick to tell them look as people they're all fundamentally the same hmm. and you count on you can't count on either party being more truthful with you than the other party is going to be with you wow. when you're in a position to deal with them the way i did hmm. uh and they'll they'll they, you'll find them spinning on their heels so fast it'll shock you if it's something that they need to do in the short term. And so you know, keep your eyes open. Yeah, I mean that's the way I feel about it. Yeah, um, and uh, we need to not get all entrapped either as as Christians. Uh, uh, if if we think that our salvation is in our politicalness, well, we really don't understand what the word says. Wow. Wow. Good word. Vern, it is always a joy to spend time with you and to learn from you. Will you pray for us and maybe pray for the people of Ukraine um, during this uh, this mm-hmm. unbelievably challenging time that I have no understanding what they're going through completely. But would you pray for us that God will use the lessons you've taught us about covenant leadership today and also for the people of Ukraine? Father in heaven, we're so grateful that you allow us to come before you and literally enter the portals of heaven, uh, calling out your name and uh, seeking your your leadership in our lives and helping us fulfill the calls that we have all been given. Uh, We pray especially for Aaron and this group of missionaries that that are at work um, doing your work in various uh, spots in the world. And Heavenly Father, this uh, world is such a mess. 
I pray in earnest for divine intervention to save the world from itself. Uh, your word says that we're supposed to lift others up, up to you to pray for them. And so we pray for the nation of Ukraine and we pray for the peoples of Ukraine. Um, we pray for President Zelensky and ask for his con your continued uh, giving him divine wisdom about how to proceed. Um, we pray for wisdom for him at the highest order uh, that he will be able to lead his people effectively and that you would continue to bless him as he is careful to uh, define for them who they are as a people and what they believe in as a people and where they are going as a people. We also pray for Putin uh, as distasteful as it feels like, uh, but your word says to pray for them. And so we pray for divine intervention there too, Lord. And we know that all of man's ways uh, aren't going to solve this uh, ch the challenge that we face overnight. But I pray especially for the m missionaries that are going to be listening on this podcast that, uh, that, they, that you would inspire them uh, with the possibilities that exist uh, when they rely on you. And that you would give them special insight and special uh, a, a divine level of wisdom about how to handle the various challenges that they see themselves in every single day. Remembering that uh, their words about what it is we believe and, and where we're going and who we are as a people uh, will affect and impact so many, uh, so many uh, people and that they are being given this uh, wonderful opportunity uh, to uh, uh, define uh, a, a direction that uh, demonstrates our trust and dependence upon the God Almighty uh, to deliver us in this uh, very critical time. And Lord, I pray that you would then help each and every one of us to uh, have a, uh, a special uh, a divine level of compassion for those that are suffering so, and that we would be uh, very careful to be as giving as we can figure out how to be uh, as we sacrificially give of ourselves and the resources that we have to help those that are in need around the world. And, and Lord, uh, we raise up Aaron's name and ask you to continue to provide him leadership as he does the work that you have given him to do reaching out and growing and developing uh, leaders in the mission field around the country, around the world. Um, we thank you for uh, his life and, and how he's committed it to you. We ask all of these things in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen and amen. Amen.